you know, there was a time when Jesus was talking to his followers, and he said to them that life is worth more than food and clothing. And what he was saying is, you know, life is so much more than here and now. There's an eternal perspective to our life that we need to be thinking about and we need to be considering. And, you know, you'll hear us say here that everything we do is connected to a soul. And it's that eternal perspective. That every event, yes, there's going to be um, connection, connecting and fun and all of that. But the more important thing is bringing somebody the value that they have in Christ, the hope that he brings to their future, the, the um, encouragement that they may need. So everything that we do is connected to a soul, and that's an eternal perspective that Jesus talks about. And when we have our tithes and offerings, that's the time where we get to say to God, you know what? I want to be part of that eternal perspective. I want to be a part of what you're doing. This past week, we had about 28 of our 6th to 12th grade girls came, and they connected with each other, with their leaders, with their value, and with the future that God has planned for them. And then later today, we're actually going to go to Coconut Island, and some of you had made a decision that you want to say yes to Jesus and receive him as your Savior and make him your Lord, and you're going to make that public declaration. See, everything that we do points to forever with Jesus and with God the Father. And so we get to be a part of that. We get to partner with God. Now, if you're visiting here for the first time, we encourage you. You can just hear the message. Receive the um, message that God has for you, any correction, any encouragement, any hope that he has. If you're from another church, we know that your tithe goes there. And if you want to give, that's fine. But if New Hope is your church, this is where we say, God, I'm part of that eternal perspective. I'm part of connecting to a soul. Would you receive what I bring to you? Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us hope, for pointing us to the future, and for preparing a place for us. So Lord God, as we partner with you, as we connect with the soul through our giving, through our tithes and our offerings, would you receive what we give? Would you use it to bless others? Would you use it to bring hope, encouragement, and healing? And would you bless those who give? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing the series today, God's Kingdom and Purposes, His Kingdom, His Wisdom, and we're going to, sorry, my cheat sheet. Um, we're, going to pass, we're going to be talking about making kingdom decisions. And a lot of times when we make decisions, we do pros and cons. Should I do this? Should I not do that? Well, there's another way. There's a better way, and that is getting with God and help, letting Him help us make decisions. Well, I'm glad you made the decision to be in church today together to learn from God and how to make those kinds of decisions. But here's the thing. You and I make decisions every single day. Now, there are over 86,000 seconds in a day, 86,400 seconds in a day. Of those seconds, of that time that is given to us, each incremental second that happens, we are constantly making decisions. Anyone want to guess how many decisions we make a day? Just throw it off the top of your head. How many decisions do we make a day? <laughs> some, some people are like, well, four? Get up, eat. Take a nap, eat, stay, stay up all night. We make all kinds of decisions. I don't know why I chose four. We make 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000. That's kind of like the average because some people will make more decisions than others. But that's the average, 35,000 decisions a day. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do you know what is this, a decision or not? Well, there are logical decisions and then there are uh, decisions that we make that are purposeful so the decisions that we make affect the results and consequences thereafter. So we're making 35,000 decisions a day. 
children, guess how many decisions they make? <laughs> Four. Yeah, sounds like us adults. They make 3,000 decisions a day. Now, this is just average. 3,000 decisions a day, which means our children are not making as many decisions as we are because for, for parents, we need to sometimes make decisions for them. They're not at that age yet where they can make their own decisions. But as we grow up, we make over, over 35,000 decisions a day. So if you think about it, there has to be at least one decision in the 35,000 that might not go well. Or there may be some that go well. Out of 35,000 decisions, some are just neutral. Like what I'm going to wear today, it's just neutral. It's not a bad decision. Well, it depends on how you dress yourself. Sometimes people look at me and they say, did you dress yourself? I'm thinking, why, what, 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 why did you say that? Because it just doesn't look correct. I say, well, what's the difference? And they say, well, we know when Heidi dresses you and when you dress yourself. That's husband, that's husband and wife, right? We, we, we tend to make those kinds of decisions, but those are just neutral decisions. It's not necessarily a life-changing decision. It's just a decision we make. So we make different types of decisions. There are certain decisions that we make that change the trajectory of our life. Maybe where we're going to college, where we're going to move, who we're going to marry, if we're going to raise a family, things like that. These are life-altering decisions. How we're going to utilize our finances, things like that. These are major life-changing decisions. Now, when it comes to making these life-changing decisions, how do we make them? How do we make decisions? Before we met Jesus Christ, and many of us have come to know Jesus Christ, before we met him, how did we make decisions? We, we normally made decisions based upon how we felt or what looked good or what other people did or possibly what parents say or what my mom and dad are saying and the advice that they're giving. So we made decisions differently than when we came to know God. Now that we know God, we pray. We ask God, help me to make a decision. But what happens when you're trying to make a decision and it just doesn't feel or you just don't have that sense of peace when you're making that decision, what do you do? Because the decisions we make today are going to affect our life tomorrow. And the more difficult the decision or the more life-altering it is, the more we face consequences. And we want to face good consequences. But we don't always make the best decision. And sometimes we base making a decision on what is right and wrong. But there's a problem with making decisions based on what is right and wrong. And we're going to learn about that today, how to make better decisions, not based on what is right and wrong, which are okay for certain things. But when it comes to life-altering decisions, we have to look at these other two ways to make decisions. It's what is wise and what is unwise. See, it's not bad for me. It's not bad for me or wrong for me. By law, it's not wrong for me to go to the bars and drink. It's not wrong for me. It's not. And I'm speaking for myself personally. It's not against the law to do that. But for me, as a pastor, is it wise? Is it wise to go clubbing as a pastor and hanging out with women? Yeah, now it's like, oh, oh, oh now, now, now you're getting deep, Pastor. Now that's, that's different than you, you go hanging out at the bar. Now you're hanging out with chicks. So no, maybe that's not good. 
But it's, it's not necessarily a right and wrong. It is called unwise. Now, because I'm married, that is also unwise. It's unwise. See, if we base everything what is, on what is right and wrong, we can always justify. But if we base things on what is wise and unwise, now we need something to give us wisdom. How do we know what is wise and unwise? Good question. That's why we're in this series, His Kingdom, His Wisdom. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you're going to need to have His wisdom because it's His kingdom. We cannot bring in our own wisdom into His kingdom. It doesn't work that way. You bring in His wisdom into His kingdom because that's how we work the best. He created us so He knows how we work the best. I remember my mom, when she was explaining to me one time, she said this. She said, um, she said you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking of going to this one place, and she's 73 years old. So she said, is it, is it okay if I, should, do you think I should wear high heels or not? And I said, high heels. Mom, high heels. I said, is it comfortable? Is it not comfortable? And this is what she said. She says, who cares about comfort? See, all the women are laughing. The men are like, I don't get it. Um, so I said, what, what, what do you mean you don't care about comfort? She goes, yeah, I don't, I don't care if it's comfortable or not. I care how it looks. Wow, you guys are prophetic. Yeah, that's what she said. She said, I don't care how it feels. I care how it looks. And I thought, that is, that is so true. We make decisions differently. Man, we don't care how it looks. We, our, our decision is like, Hey, honey, so what, slippers or shoes? <laughs> well, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to go to my friend's house. Slippers. Ah, slippers. Oh, where are you going? I'm going to a wedding. Shoes. It's just that simple. Some weddings, though, some weddings, we can wear slippers, right, as men. It depends on who's getting married, what the wedding is like. See, all the decisions we make, always de- uh, the decisions that we make is always, is always determined by some type of wisdom. There's some wisdom that must come in. Otherwise, how will we make decisions? Or what we'll do is we'll make decisions, and then when we hit the consequences, then we try to backpedal and learn from it. But if that's the only way we learn from making decisions, how many consequences that are detrimental to us do we need to make and receive in order for us to change in how we process the ways of making decisions? See, in the kingdom of God, he gives us wisdom because we're a part of his kingdom. He gives wisdom freely. And because we're in the kingdom of God, he sees what's best for us. So he's going to bring the necessary wisdom to help us get to the place where he sees us to be working at the best or how our life is at the best. So he gives us that kind of wisdom. If not, we're going to make decisions based on how we feel, not by the wisdom of God. And there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. But we're born into this world, so we make worldly decisions. And by the time we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've already developed a habit or a pattern in how we think and how we make decisions. They're locked up here in our brains, in our neurons. As we make decisions, we have neural pathways that after a while, we don't don't really have to think about the decisions that we make. We just make them automatically. That's why when we come to know God, we're still making ungodly decisions. Why? Because we've been doing that all our lives without even recognizing it. We didn't even notice we were making ungodly decisions. 
But now that we know God, we gave him our heart, we have a different spirit, and now we have the spirit of God, and our spirit man comes alive, our inner spirit. And now because of that spirit connecting with God, now we have that fight between spirit and flesh, God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world. And it's always going to be at battle. So today we want to learn how do we make godly decisions? How do we make those kinds of decisions that are pleasing to God? How do we make kingdom decisions, not worldly decisions? See, when God gave us a vision for our life, we call it godly potential, then you and I are going to have to have some kind of wisdom to go along with it. See, many, many times in the world we contemplate making choices based on what is right and wrong, but we want to make decisions based on wise and unwise. Now, here's the, here's the average pattern of what happens when a decision goes bad. When we make a decision, we don't really think about it thoroughly because of our old habits. We just make decisions. But then we make a decision, we don't think about it thoroughly or think it through, and then we make a decision, and if it was a bad decision, we don't know until sometimes years later, or maybe we find out quickly thereafter that that was not a wise decision. It was a bad decision. So we make that decision, we face the consequences, and depending on how bad the consequences are, we'll determine if we're going to learn or not. If you get pulled over for a speeding ticket, and the, the fine is, you know, a couple hundred dollars, and you don't have that money, and you have, and you have to struggle to pay that fine, you're going to learn for the next time. Hopefully we learn. But for, hum, like, for us as human, human beings, we'll, we'll be okay for a little while. We'll drive speed limit and be okay. But then after a long period, depends on how much we were willing to learn and how detrimental that consequence was, we will go back to our old ways. Because that has happened way in the past and our new thinking has not been developed enough to change our ways. So we keep making decision after decision based on what is right or wrong as well as sometimes what is unwise because we have not made that change yet. So sometimes that's how we learn from it and we make that decision, goes bad, and then we say, God, help me. Or sometimes... We stop and then we think, why did I make that decision? Or we say to ourselves, there is no hope left. Because of the decision that I made, there's no hope left. Or because of the decision that I made, this is where I am in life. So what do I do? And we cry out to God. But that's usually the normal pattern. Decision might be bad. Consequences, cry out to God. That's the way we used to do things. And as we came to know the Lord, we kind of still do things like that. But this is what God says. How about you flip that around? Instead of just making decisions based on what you think or what you feel, how about you flip that around and not wait for the consequence to call out to me? How about you start with me first and pray to me? Seek me out first. And when you seek me out first, I will give you the wisdom even though it doesn't make sense or even though it goes against how you feel. Because it's not about right and wrong anymore. It's about what is wise and what is unwise. And God sees our future so much greater than we can. And he says, here's your future. It's a, it's a, it's a great future. It's for a future and a hope. Here are my promises. You're going to receive this. But here are the decisions necessary to get there. And then he says, here are the decisions you need to make. Here it is. 
And then we hear it, we hear his word, we come to church, we hear his word, and we say, that was so good, God. But do we follow through with the decisions that he has given to us? Do we trust God enough? Do we obey him? In the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to learn that this kingdom way to turn to God first and making decisions and let God handle the results is something that we all struggle with, especially with this person. And this story is a man, uh, this story is about two people, a man by the name of Saul, who was Israel's first king, and a man by the name of Samuel. And he was the seer. He was like a prophet, a priest. He was the one that was able to do certain things that the priest could do, like uh, giving burnt offerings and things like that. They had certain responsibilities, and God used them to bring revelation to his people. Well, we're going to learn from this story that Saul, being Israel's first king, had to switch from just making decisions to how do I make kingdom decisions. I'll read from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 15. So it begins with this, that Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. So at 30 years old, He's still young in his mind and thinking. We, we got to remember our prefrontal cortex gets developed between the ages of 23 and 25, which means that's our decision-making processing system. So that's that stage. So some of you, if you're younger than that, that's why the Bible says obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord, and you'll live a long and prosperous life. The reason for that is because our decision-making is not quite there yet, or the, the way we should make decisions is not fully formed. That's why we make decisions based on how we feel as teenagers and around that age and even as young adults sometimes because that's fully developed, our emotions. And so we make decisions based on emotions, but now we have this decision-making processing system, like the factory that makes decisions that are being developed. And Saul is now five, seven years in making these types of decisions, so he's still learning about this. So Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Now Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land, and he said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained in Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Now remember, Saul is not supposed to do the burnt offering. He's not supposed to do this. 
That was against the laws of God. Only certain people, the priests, were able to do that. What have you done? asked Samuel in verse 11. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, right, I made the decision that now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. Notice he didn't seek God yet. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a, a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Saul left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. So here's Saul having to make some crazy decisions and some decisions that he was not supposed to make. Now Saul felt like he was losing control over all of his men, so he needed to instill confidence in his men, but he did it the wrong way. He tried manufacturing confidence through the wisdom of man rather than through the wisdom of God because he saw them scattering, which was to wait for Samuel. That was the wisdom of God. He was supposed to wait for Samuel, but when he saw that the men were scattering, he now reverted back to old ways rather than kingdom ways. He went back to the old system and how he thought, and he thought, I might as well take it upon myself rather than leaving it in the hands of God and how God ordained it to be. And sometimes that's us. We will make decisions based on how we can control a situation, based on what we think and how we feel, and we say, I, I need to make this, this decision, and we trust in ourselves rather than trusting in God. And though we need to make decisions, we still need to come before God because that is the best way to learn godly wisdom. It's coming before God. And so when he tried to make his own decision, he, he was beginning to learn that he wasn't making the best decision. And you would think Saul would learn. You would think that he would catch this, but he didn't. In fact, what we're going to learn is that when we make life-changing decisions, making decisions based on God's wisdom is the best way. So we're going to learn how to make decisions not based on what is right and wrong, but what is wise and unwise. And here's the process when it comes to making kingdom decisions. And we're going to go through this process. And in this, in this story, I just pulled out some things that we can learn, that we can see how Saul made these decisions and, and what we can learn ourselves personally so that we can walk out godly wisdom. But the first thing is fear. That's what happened with Saul. He, he, he felt fearful because we feel fear. We, we feel. We're human beings and God gave us emotion and we're supposed to feel so he felt fearful. He said, I saw that the men were scattering. See, we all have fears. We have fears of relationships not working out. We have fears on, on what someone is going to say or not say, if they're going to believe in me or not. We're going to have fears of, is he going to leave me? Is she going to leave me? Do I trust him? Do I trust her? We're going to have all of those fears. Financial setbacks, struggling from paycheck to paycheck. We're going to have those fears. We're going to have fears of health. We're going to have mental fears, like how we think, 
should I be thinking like this? Or, or why is this thought always in my mind? We have fears of insecurities and fears of the unknown. We fear, we fear for safety. So we have all of these fears. So we tend to make decisions based on fears rather than faith. And Saul made this decision based on fear. But he also, the second thing that he had to deal with in making a decision was an excuse. Whenever we make a decision, sometimes it comes out of an excuse. And in this case, Saul said, well, you, Samuel, you did not come at the set time, so that's why I made this decision. It was an excuse. That's why he made that decision. Did you know that excuses stops all learning? Once we make an excuse, it stops all learning. Why does that happen? Well, because the way our brains operate with our neurons if someone is bringing correction or if God is bringing correction or if we need to learn something new and we make an excuse, the neurons that were ready to learn shut down and die because you didn't receive the instruction. So now we stay in our old habits and our bodies react to it. Have you ever seen this? And I'm just using this as an illustration. It happens with all of us. But when a parent teaches a teen or is trying to, and saying, listen, this is how you need to wash the dishes. You need to wash them like this. And they do this. <sighs> you know why that face comes out? Because the neurons trigger their, their emotions, and their emotions, or their emotions flood the body with all of these chemicals of disgust. So the body reacts and goes, <sighs> there's an actual response that takes place of, uh, there's not even a correct word for it. It's just a feeling that takes place over us. And it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. Go ask your husband to take out the trash twice. Just, just twice, like in a row, like fast. Like, honey, can you take out the trash? Honey, can you take out the trash? See what happens. Now, don't, don't test them. I mean, just imagine, imagine what would happen. I mean, our, our bodies convulse. It's like, but you told me already. So we react in certain ways. Or if you come home, just, I, I test Heidi every, every now and then. I'll just, I'll see what happens. I come home and say, hey, honey, where's my dinner? <laughs> I just, you know, play around kind of thing. Or I'm sitting down and say, hey, Heidi, make my water. That's what I'll tell her. I say, make my water. I see you guys laughing too because you know Heidi. She's like, what? I said, yeah, go, go make me dinner. I'll just, you know, order her around like that. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> but we have these, we have these, patterns and because of these patterns we were a certain way so when Saul is given this situation and he needs to make a decision he makes this excuse because in this excuse situation you don't have to learn you don't have to learn a single thing it just shuts down everything see our, our brains our brains need to be flexible and open if we're going to learn. And whenever God is going to teach us something, especially when it's his wisdom, we need to learn. We have this thing called neural fluctuations. Sorry, I'm using a lot of brain terminology, but we need to understand this because that's the way we work. And because of all these fluctuations, it's our, it's our neurons in our minds that fluctuate. And there's a lot of noise that is going on in our heads. And I'm sure you've been in that season from time to time. It's like, I just can't take it anymore. There's so much thought that is in there. But we need that because our thoughts are going in all kinds of different directions. And so when God speaks to us and he gives us his wisdoms, now our thoughts can now 
come into, as the Bible says, come into a developmental stage called the mind of Christ. There's a singular focus when we develop the mind of Christ, and it comes without excuse. It comes with just learning from God and not dealing with the, the consequences first and then learn from it. It's, God, what is your wisdom? What are you saying? And then we follow that. We make excuses like, well, it wasn't my fault. We make excuses like, well, well, the reason why I did this, it was because of, and it stops all learning. Or when someone says, well, it can't be done, we, we stop learning. Or someone says things like, well, so-and-so tried it, and they couldn't, so I figured why, and you finish the sentence. We, when we make the excuse, or when there's that excuse, it stops all learning. The third thing that we can learn from Saul is that the circumstance. He looked at the circumstance, and he saw that the Philistines were assembling. And because the Philistines were assembling, that was a concern of his. Now, consequences concern us. There's no doubt about that. We need to be concerned. But what we see influences our decisions because we actually see with our brain. Did you know that you and I don't see with our eyes? We don't see with our eyes. Our eyes are just the lens in which light comes through and hits our light rods in our eyes, and then our brain translates all the light that is coming through and the shadows and the darkness. All of this information comes in, and then our occipital lobe translates everything. We actually see upside down, and our brain flips everything right side up. So we see with our brain, and what happens is if we're trying to figure out a decision based on the circumstance, which is what Saul did, then he made a decision based on what he saw, not according to his faith in God. See, we see our bank account, and then we make a decision or the lack of our bank account, we see that, and then we make a decision based on what we see. We see our gas gauge going empty, and we don't have enough finances, so we have to now make a decision. We see the food running low, or we see our retirement portfolio take a turn for the worse, or we see a business deadline, or we see our relationship struggle, so we react to the circumstances that we see rather than in a God who has wisdom far beyond our years. Which brings us to the fourth thing, faith. Saul said, I have not sought the Lord's favor. Did you know that every single one of us have faith in something or someone? And Saul put his faith in something rather than someone, which was the Lord. See, we have, I believe we have faith in the Lord. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And that faith is required when we make a decision. So here's what happens. The result. The result was, for Saul, I felt compelled. Which means he moved by circumstantial evidence. Because I see this, I feel this, I'm going to do this. So I make a decision based on what I see and how I feel. Yeah, but what about the consequences? This is what we say. I don't care. I don't care about the consequences. You know why? Because of A, B, C, D. This is why I'm making this decision because of this person, that person. They did this, they did this. So you make those decisions, and you know who pays the price? Yeah, yourself. We pay the price. Saul paid the price for it. 
And Samuel gave him the results, the consequence. See, the result is he felt compelled. That's circumstantial. And Saul felt compelled and, un, and made an unwise decision and then received the consequence of it. And here's the consequence. And this is what Saul, uh, Samuel said to Saul. He said, your kingdom will not endure, which became personal. The results are not always personal. The results are not always personal. The, the results are you feel something. It's circumstantial. But now a consequence, a consequence now becomes personal. And for Saul, his kingdom would not endure. See, you and I may not always get the answers we want from the Lord, but we will always get the best directions from the Lord. He will always direct us in the best way possible. I'm going to read the second story, and, and this one is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, so you can turn a couple chapters over. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is the story of where Saul is supposed to destroy the Amalekites, a neighboring nation who did things in the most detestable way against the ways of God. So Samuel says to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. In other words, Samuel is saying, okay, you made some mistakes, but now you can still learn. Listen, listen now. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Now just to be crystal clear, Samuel continues, do not spare them, put to death men and women, children and infants. That's horrible. Cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And there's a history why everything needed to be destroyed. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Talim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the, in the ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Was he supposed to do that? He was supposed to destroy how many of them? All of them. But he took the king of, he took the king of the Amor, uh, Amalekites alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. Were they supposed to do that? Nope, they're supposed to destroy them all. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. Really? Yeah, Saul went to Carmel. Well, what is he doing in Carmel? Oh, he went there to set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. 
When Samuel reached him, Saul said, Oh, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Did he? No. But then Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? What is the bleating of sheep? Meh. So Samuel said, Wait, wait, wait. What did you say, Saul? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Carried out the commands of the Lord. Meh. Well, what is the bleating of sheep that I hear? The what? The bleating of sheep. And the lowing of oxen. Oxen. So while Saul is, is being, you know, super godly, super spiritual, I have carried out the commands of the Lord. There's like oxen in the background. And, and Sam is saying, wait a minute, but what do I hear? What is that in the background? And Saul answered, oh, that, the soldiers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle, though to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But, but we totally destroyed the rest. Like, that don't matter because we destroyed everything else. So don't, don't mind the sheep, don't mind the oxen. In other words, we, we have sheep and oxen still in our lives when God says, are you, this is what you are to do. We still have our old ways. We, we even do that. We're worshiping God. Lord, we worship you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's, God is saying there's still certain things in you that you're, you're worshiping me. Yeah, praise God. But there's still some bleating of sheep and still lowing of oxen. So now Saul is trying to figure out how do I get out of this. So Samuel says, enough. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me. Saul replied. Now, I'm not sure what his reaction was, but the Bible says he said, tell me. So Samuel says, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The, no the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Now, we, we've seen this happen before as parents. We tell our children, why did you do that? And what do our children say? I don't know. That's what they say. Why did, why did you? <laughs> I said this to my grandchildren one time. They're, they're supposed to only fill up the tub so high, but it kept going. And I was all for it, but not Heidi. She said, what are you doing? Why did you fill it up so high? And they said, we don't know. And I said, I know why. Because it's funner. And they looked, funner is a word. And they looked at me and, and they gave me the look like, yeah, that was the reason. Like, we know the reasons. But Saul is now listening to Samuel. Samuel is saying, why, why did you do this? And then Saul replies in verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. This just doesn't make sense. I destroyed everything, and I brought back the king. How do you even do that? How do you destroy everything and bring Agag, the king? Well, we do the same thing with God. He says, here's what I'm asking of you. And we say, oh, we'll take care of all of that, but what if I just go 99%, Lord? Can I just keep a little bit of me in there? Can I, can I not destroy everything? Can I still keep, like, my personality, my attitude? Can I, can I just keep some of my, my, just some of me? And God says, but I have, a, I have a better way. I have greater wisdom. 
but can I just have some of those things? And what, what Saul is saying is, you know, I, I did all these things, but the soldiers, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. In other words, Saul is not getting it. He's saying, listen, I, 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 I'm doing all of these things, but it's for God. This is for the Lord. But he's missing the whole entire point. He's not even obeying God. And Samuel replies, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? What does God rather have? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And then he switches gears and he gives Saul the why behind everything that he's saying. And he says, For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Now remember, that, that's kind of our normal pattern. We make decisions, face consequences, turn to God. It should be the other way around. Turn to God first and let him deal with the consequences and the results because God's way is so much better. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Now, let's remember this. God did not reject Saul as a human being. He rejected Saul as king. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. We don't like hearing that, that someone's better than us. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. And Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Saul wanted to save face. And the grace of Samuel cooperated with him. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Well, Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah, of Saul until the day Samuel died. He did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. I would never want God to regret something that he has anointed me for. I would, I would want to do my best for God. That's God's kingdom. And he's going to give us his wisdom. See, Saul and the people spared what was good, which tells me that the people already had a preconceived idea of who they thought Saul was. They, they already assumed that Saul would be okay with them not fully carrying out the command of the Lord, which was Saul's reputation with the people, that no, he'd be okay. And that's the process that we go through. So we, we first looked at how we make these decisions but here's the process 
in what we go through when it comes to the battle. The process is fear, excuse, circumstance, faith, and when we have results and consequence. But the battle we go through in making kingdom decisions start with self. We battle with self. And for Saul, he set up a monument in his own favor, which is breaking the first commandment. You shall not worship any other gods before you, nor put up any idols. And this is what he did. So we're going to deal with self when, it, when we come face to face with making a kingdom decision. We're always going to deal with self. So when it comes to making a kingdom decision, just practical things that we can do is, if we're going to spend time with our families, put away the phone. Because that's family time. It's so easy to gravitate towards something else and, and our attention gets taken away. Or gaming, because of our, we want to spend time with our family. If, if you're gaming all the time and your, your children are like, Daddy, 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 Mommy, 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 and we're always on something else, it's taking away family time. Why? Because we have self. Or sometimes it's just with other people. We're going to hang out with other people and our family, or our spouse, or our loved ones, our children are saying, but what about me? And it's like, this, this is my time. This is my time now. I raised you for two years. It's my time now. But they still need our attention. Or sometimes we do things for other people rather than our own family. Or maybe it comes when it comes to self, we deal with self when it comes to give or take because self is there. We have a hard time with that. The second battle that we deal with is deception. And this is what happened with Saul. He said, well, I this is the deception. I have carried out the Lord's instruction, which is a half-truth. So we get deceived even with a half-truth. And we begin to believe the enemy when he whispers into our ears. And we, we, we are deceived, so we make decisions based on deception. And we're, we battle with that all the time. The third thing we battle with is responsibility. Saul didn't take responsibility for himself as the king. He said, no, no, the soldiers brought them. They spared the best. Almost like justifying, which brings us to the fourth thing, that we justify. Saul said, well, we, we totally destroyed the rest. Totally. That, everything, gone. In order to sacrifice them to the Lord. So he justified his actions. And we start to justify our actions. We say things like, well, you know, the government, they don't spend money wisely, so why should I pay taxes? They don't spend it wisely, so I'm just going to cut short what they don't deserve. So we make our own decisions. Or we, we, we make decisions based on the justifications when we deal with our own family. Well, if he's going to do this, then I'm going to do this. Well, they did this, so I get to do this. Or if my children want to be like this, then I'm going to be like this. But we justify everything. And now we think, well, it's, they want to do this? Now it's my turn. Oh, they did that? Oh, now it's my turn. Oh, she spent this much? Oh, I get to spend this much. He spent that much? I get to spend this much. And you're both broke, going into debt. And you're, you're, you're trying to compete with each other, but your, your finances are suffering because we justify. So what happens is here's the, here's the result. Saul was rejected as king. That was the result which is the circumstance. Now Saul is rejected as king. That was the circumstance. But here's, here's the consequence. This was worse for Saul, that he lost his mentor in Samuel. Sometimes we make decisions based on how we feel, self, we justify, but we lose something in the end. And that which we lost, in fact, Samuel did not go to see Saul again. 
though Samuel mourned for him. Samuel was heartbroken because he saw the potential. And here's what is, here's what is, here's the learning curve and here's what is pretty sad sometimes about when we make decisions. That some of us are okay with the consequences in the end when we lost it all. We're okay with the consequences in the end when we've lost it all. When in the beginning, this was unthinkable. It was unthinkable. My marriage, relationship fall apart, relationship between parent and child broken, friendships, debt, decisions that we make that we would never think we would ever make. And we're okay. And God says, here's a better way. It's my wisdom and it's, it's because it's my kingdom. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, to remind us, Samuel says to Saul, does, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin is like the sin of divination, which is like witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. It, it ends with a sad story. And if you're reading your Bible with our, during our devotions, you're seeing Saul's life take a turn for the worse. And Saul ends up dying a bad death. Read the Bible. It'll show you the, the life of Saul. So at what point, you might ask this question, can I save an irreversible consequence? Can, is, there, is there a way to save that? Now, we can never reverse a consequence, but we can definitely, definitely have a new beginning. Are we going to go over three lessons to learn when making kingdom decisions? And we'll close with this. The first one is to obey the Lord wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. With all your heart, obey the Lord wholeheartedly. The second thing we need to remember is that delayed obedience is still disobedience. If God something to you right away and he says, this is what you need to do, obey him as quick as possible. The longer we take, the longer it's disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And the third thing is to catch poor decisions quickly. Catch them quickly. Don't wait for the bad things to happen. Catch the poor decisions quickly. The, the small decisions that we made, catch them quickly. Because we can fix small, tiny, minute decisions that will ruin everything in the future today. We can change one degree right here. But if we're 50 degrees off, it takes a lot to re-correct. But if we just made a slight thing, maybe I said something to my spouse and it's kind of cutting or, or negative, then I can, I can make it right really quickly. Honey, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. Make it right as quick as possible. Get back on track. This is what we can learn from Saul in this story. Catch poor decisions quickly. And if Saul did that early on, he would have been one of Israel's greatest kings and would have ended well. You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. God will give us wisdom all the time. In fact, last week, some of you were wondering, uh, you saw some people with me 
There's about 20 of us. We did a lifestyle leadership practicum. And what that is all about is learning about basic fundamentals about lifestyle and leadership. And so we had a, a group of people, about 22 of us. Uh, we did a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday leadership practicum over the weekend. And we learned about doing devotions. We learned about uh, our lifestyle, how to stay healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, and then we also learned about what we do here on Sunday morning. And that's why some of them were kind of following me. And they had earpieces in so that uh, when I was doing certain things and uh, making decisions, then I could let them hear how I make a decision. And so we got to debrief and all of that. But I thought, you know, even though we can do things like that, and even though there may be, be, may be a Samuel in our lives that can speak, even though we may learn lifestyle and leadership and things like that, even though we may learn in church, learn from the Word of God, it will still come down to obeying the Lord wholeheartedly. It will still come down to obeying the Lord, not delaying our obedience, and it will still come down to catching poor decisions quickly. It will still come down to the basic fundamentals. I pray that today, no matter where you are, if you're way off base, that you, you start new beginning, new beginning. If there are some minor corrections, make those decisions. It's His wisdom, and His wisdom is always the best way to do things. As we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And as we do so, maybe there are some things that you've made decisions on. Maybe you've made a decision already and you're saying, I don't know how to reverse this. I, I can't reverse this. Then get a new beginning. Start fresh. But don't start fresh with your decisions. Start fresh with the wisdom of the Lord. Start with Him. Get into the Word of God. We have devotionals available. Get into the Word of God. Lord, our heart this morning is to learn from you. That's our heart. So, Lord, we pray today that our, our minds would be set on you, not on our circumstances, not how we feel, but on the wisdom that comes from you. Your ways is always the best way. Today, Lord, many will make a decision to be water baptized. I pray that they base their decision on your wisdom. Something of righteousness takes place when we're baptized. There's a, it's, it's a, it, there's a spiritual renewal. And so I pray that we would make these decisions based on who you are. And every day as we make decisions, 35,000 decisions, Lord, I pray that you give us the wisdom required to make the best decisions according to your will so that we reach our fullest potential. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen.